Listening to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm Matt Helgeson. You might be familiar with me as the host of this show. You also might be familiar <laughs> with a dear friend of mine, Jason Daphnis. How are you, Jason? Dear friend. Wow, I really love the energy we're bringing to this episode, Matt. I'm doing great, even better since you started talking. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know, Jason. You're my dear friend, but am I your dear friend? I mean, that sounded a little. Well, know. find out at the end of the episode, <laughs> listener. <laughs> Depending on your opinion of some of the music I've bought yeah. in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, yeah, so again, we've been trying to come up with some novel ideas, and it's been sort of fun for Jason and I to think of different uh, show formats. And this one uh, was Jason's idea, which I thought was an excellent idea, is uh, we are kind of raiding each other's Bandcamp library. Um, we basically, basically just both went and, uh, you know, checked out there was a ton of albums, and I kind of marked up ones that I thought were... I'd follow up on, and then I, I, you know, got down to five, five songs out of Jason's um, library, and Jason did the same in my library, um, mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool. It was definitely I was exposed to a ton of stuff I wasn't familiar with, um, same some some stuff that I was, and uh, I don't know. It's an interesting exercise. Plus, I feel like I feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like my band camp is sort of kind of just weirdly eclectic and all over the place compared to like my other libraries of music. I oh, definitely. Just- I mean, for me, for me, it's like uh, what I own on vinyl is the most esoteric Jason specific stuff. And then Bandcamp cause I can afford to kind of take more of a, more of a wash on stuff that I don't end up loving there, but I still want to support the artist. And then Spotify is just, it is surface level earth's crust type Jason's interest stuff. So that's, why I really wanted to do this was because the way that I perceive Bandcamp is sort of like this um, in an era when, you know, digital music ownership is kind of all over the place. Perceptions of it are like, you know, what is it worth to own it? If it's just digital, like you don't have MP3 players anymore. What does that matter? Convenience of streaming and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Bandcamp kind of occupies this really interesting space of like, Oh, if you want to support an artist, but you don't want to load your shelf with vinyl, you don't want to buy more stuff at concerts, et cetera, go to their Bandcamp, pay, you know, a buck or a buck 50 per track or like 10 bucks for an album and you've already supported that artist monetarily more than you will have with a thousand streams of their most popular songs. Right. Yes. Um, so I think that sort of leads to the common perception of, of Bandcamp. Actually, I was very interested. I was, I don't know if you checked out the, um, the poll that I ran on MinMax's Twitter a couple weeks ago to get prepared for this episode, but, uh, I guess it was about a week ago now. Um, I asked, you know, how big is your Bandcamp library? Just assuming that people knew about it. One of the options was, uh, you know, band what collection kind of like, I don't, I don't have one, oh, yeah. uh, I guess, as a response. 69.1% of people either do not know or do not have a Bandcamp collection. Wow. Uh, who responded to this? 194 votes. So uh, I'm not sure if this is really playing to the audience or if we're introducing <laughs> people to the concept of Bandcamp in the first place. But uh, uh, I, was, I was surprised at that overwhelming yeah. number. I mean, I think Bandcamp is great. I love what they've done. Um, actually, um, Aaron, our last guest from last episode, writes for Bandcamp. I really like that mm-hmm. they've done a lot of cool editorial content on very obscure artists and for sure i think it but i think it is you're right it's geared towards i think more music fanatics and if you go on you, i like that thing on the main page where it's this little module where you see every record that's being bought in real time yeah that's pretty cool and uh 
But just, you know, based on that, it's like they're not the uh, pop hits of today that are being purchased on Bandcamp. I, I rarely recognize anything that's coming up on that little thing where they just keep scrolling through the album art. Um, Which is think, so exciting. Yeah. yeah, it's cool. I mean, I've definitely, and I've definitely discovered stuff on there. I've definitely, like some of the stuff in my library was just stuff that was either free or name your price or mm-hmm. stuff I just bought on Bandcamp Friday because I was curious or a mix of also pre-ordering vinyl sometimes, you know, that's like yeah. the easiest way to do it. So it does kind of, I think, lend itself to a sort of more esoteric and eclectic uh, library than you might find in your your actual physical collection or what yeah, you, yeah. Spotify, um, you know, kind of drums up for you algorithmically. For sure. For sure. And that's like, it's one of the things that I was talking with, um, with a friend a couple of days ago about Bandcamp. on a recent episode. We just, we discussed a little bit about, um, Epic's recent purchase of Bandcamp. literally like now they own Bandcamp as a service. And I was wondering what they might want to change about not to like divert too far here, but like one of the things that makes Bandcamp so like down in your own sort of, um, you know, your own niche thing is because I found out through streaming some of these songs on the app, it doesn't just play more songs like the ones you've listened to. It will stop after an album plays or after a single plays, you just won't get more music until you choose more music. And it's a very like listener dependent. You yes. must know what you want to listen to next. Even if you're not buying it, at least queue it up. And I wonder if that's one of the things that, you know, as a revenue generating machine, I'm hoping as Epic wants to, or I'm assuming as Epic wants to make it, um, that maybe they start like incorporating a stronger algorithm into that to like, yeah. oh, discover new music. Don't just, you know, buy what you already know or like, or, you know, find, take a chance that the homepage has something you, that you'll find cool. Maybe there's like a play for more of that Spotify like experience for them in the future. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I hope feelings not about personally, that. I, I don't want it to be get too close to like a Spotify. Yeah. Um, I would say, I think something that I've thought about that I think would be more in line with their very like user driven, listener driven experiences to just enable like individual, you know, fans as they call your account, um, the ability to do playlists. Oh, um, that would have been nice. Yeah. Because that, that, that I think I find that a little more personal and interesting to like, you know, if somebody bought an album that you bought, you could like click on their little profile pic and maybe they have a playlist of stuff. You know, I kind of, I think that feels more in line with what they're trying to do, but you know, with Epic, who knows? And also mm-hmm. too, like the other thing people, you know, on the internet never contemplate is they might not really want to change that much. You know, they might just yeah, see it as like, that's possible. This is a good profitable business that we bought. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, they probably do want to do some things, but maybe it's right, not as right. like such a, nightmare scenario that people on especially on the day that it was announced on um oh yeah on twitter my least charitable reading is it's a company and companies want to make money and if Bandcamp could be making more money they will do what they can to make it but you're right no judgments yet i guess nothing has visibly happened to the company so as long as it keeps going and i can keep finding cool stuff and supporting artists i like hey Mm -hmm. i've also guilt i i have guilt purchased albums too that <laughs> I'm i glad well, you brought it up because i have too i just let you know i've listened to them a lot on streaming and for whatever reason and they just don't seem like this type of band that would have that good of vinyl or anything like that so mm-hmm. or the vinyl's long sold out which is often the case now um, right so sometimes i've gone like a year after i was listening to sing a ton i was just like boy i should like kick these guys like nine dollars or whatever they're charging you know so for sure i that brings me to another question about your band camp i guess we can dive start with yours but like yours has a lot of minneapolis artists too do you uh go to band camp for local music as well yeah i would say most of those would probably be um people i know 
mm. in real life in their bands. You know, just kind of trying to support friends stuff. Yeah. I just bought um, a great album called Let's Celebrate by um, my friend Dojo and Greg's band um, Cult Vibes. I highly recommend that one if people want to check that out on Bandcamp. I think I just listened to-, to a single from that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can nice. also get a great band from Minneapolis called Renegade Priests. Um, their album, which I'm a member of that band, and we have an album. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, I remember this. <laughs> just plugging, I remember this plugging, yeah. artist title. <laughs> uh, Every song means three things. It was our album. I think it was like two summers ago. But uh, hey, can I can I ask because I have owned that album since it released? Mm-hmm. What are the three things every song needs? Okay, here's the story. Um, yeah. Cliff Bernstein. Uh, is a very famous uh, management guy and A&R in the uh, industry. He's famous for, he's managed a ton of bands, like huge bands like Def Leppard and, you know, and Ooh. he discovered, I think he signed Metallica. I think he, he I know he signed uh, Rush. He's in the wow. Rush uh, Beyond the Lighted Stage documentary. He kind of looks like an old wizard now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was an old wizard back then. Yeah, yeah. Um Anyway, in late 70s, he was given, based on his, his success, a label called Blank Records, which was sort of trying to cater to like the upcoming punk and new wave and kind of weird music scenes of that time. And he signed a band from Cleveland, uh, Aaron Margaret Day, uh, is from Cleveland originally, I think, our last guest, uh, called, right. pa- called Per Ubu. And they're a very kind of arty, um, I don't know what you would call them. They're sort of, they're post-punk, but they came before punk, and they're just hmm. just. If I had to think of an art rock band, I would think of Parubu, um, and their uh-huh. their leader Dave Thomas. Anyway, Thomas wrote about this one time. They brought the album they were going to put on Blank Records to Bernstein, and you know he kind of sits and listens to it in like Yoda like fashion, and then he says, "See, Dave, the thing is, every song needs three things." And Dave says, "Okay, well, I mean, like." What three things does a song need? And he said, no, every song needs three things. And he walks out of the room. <laughs> and so Thomas, in I think, all throughout his career was sort of haunted by this. And I think he eventually took it to mean that, like, a song has to have three things that you notice or that oh. stand out or something. And But that might not have been what he meant at all. But I just, Right. But, three, but, but, like, things is their own yeah, category. Yeah. yeah. I, and I don't know what he meant, but my friend Chris, <laughs> who did all the vocals and, and lyrics to the album, uh, he just was always obsessed. He loves Per Ubu, and he's, just, he's always been obsessed with that anecdote and that and story, so that's what we called it. That's great. Anyway, that's yeah, great. the more you know. But uh, let's let's get down to some music now. Um, all right, well, just because they're first in my notes, let's start with uh, my picks from your Bandcamp library. Uh, this is the order to have them. Uh, First off, a band called White Denim. Uh, this was a band I felt like I checked out at one point, but in the streaming age, I feel like I check a lot of things out and then they sort of just totally forget about them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, I'm curious. You seem to be a fan of the band and, uh, you know. Big fan. Yeah. Um, well, I got into them just before one of their songs was in a or the Nintendo Switch launch uh, trailer. They have a song called Hey Ya... Haha, ha, yeah, I think it's just like a kind of a poppy 60s vibe type song. Um, but when that hit in uh 2017, I was like, oh, I already know that band, and nobody nobody gave a shit. Uh, but they're kind of like a retro, almost psych rock revivalist type deal. Um, out of I believe Houston, uh, I've I've loved the music for 
you know, four or five years now. Um, they, but they've been releasing for a lot longer than that. I think maybe they're in their 10th, 11th, 12th year of releasing music. Uh, this is from an album that I think they put out during the pandemic um, called uh, World is a Waiting Room. And it wasn't like indicative of their whole style. It wasn't like loaded with singles. It was just music that they wanted to make and sort of document making during the pandemic. Um, they hold up, I think, at their studio in Texas or maybe was Austin, I forget. Um, and they sort of like chronicled the making of it and the writing of it. And they decided we're going to do this all like in this small time span, uh, just get these tunes out and produce them ourselves. Uh, they've got a lot of experience doing it. And I think it's, it kind of shows in this track. Um, this is one of their jammier, at least in my opinion, I guess you, you have your own as, as a fresh listener to it, uh, sort of a jammier feel. This is the jammier side of the a band that sort of vacillates between very poppy, very catchy, very traditional song structure and, uh, and this more jammy side, which I think this song's like, tops out above six minutes long yep, and it kind yep. of kind of maintains the same thing as it goes uh how did it go down for you good well why don't we start and we can get into give people a taste oh, sure. of this. i took a i i committed a real crossfade sin by just talking about the music without playing music uh so here's try, ben ben gets honest he really does our boss ben hansen gets honest about i feel that. like i'm gonna need some mea culpa i said some mean stuff about him in the last episode but this is white denim's work from world as a waiting room But yeah, this is sort of what instantly attracted me to this one because I, I listened to a few things. I think you had other albums maybe on your thing besides these, mm-hmm. but I just I, I'm a big fan of the like repetitive groove where like you basically ride one groove for a, the whole song and just kind of put layers over it. And um, yeah, yeah. And also that the guitar we just heard, I really like that kind of whatever effects they had on that guitar sounded really cool to me. That sort of reverby, watery yeah. sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, I I feel okay talking over this because the song does. I was gonna say it adds elements like that. Yeah, I, I really like the uh, the lead playing on this is, is inventive, and uh, you know you mentioned it was kind of a '60s throwback, but I think one of the things I noticed is that. Clearly, it's in that tradition, but it also didn't feel explicitly like retro to me. You know, hmm. it didn't really feel like you know twenty-five-year-old guys kind of doing like Grateful Dead dress up, which right, right. I think some of the stuff in the in the kind of modern jam scene feels like that a little bit to me. Like, like this doesn't hmm. sound like a record that came out in the sixties. Just no, like the no, sound of it. Like this yeah, is a yeah. this is like a modern record. Um, but I, I do, I think I love some of the same things you heard in this track, like that, that slow building, some of those leads, some of those like fills, that sort of like, they just workshop. It's like, I know I say this about a lot of music we talk about on Crossfade, but once we've established the groove and like you said, that drum, uh, you know, that beat, you can just ride for seven minutes. Oh, that's you really just good. Get like cr- this. It, exactly. Like that's actually it's kind of like Grateful that. Dead. Actually, that line is very Grateful Dead. Now that you mentioned it's it. it's nice and like like the harmonies are spread out real nice. I I really like how this song like without change without steering course it just like spices things up once every verse or so. Yeah, I like it. And I like the lead playing is very inventive. It's not necessarily just like trad kind of like pentatonic scale stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You so guys, is this is this like oh. is this on the weirder end of this band? Probably they've got some stuff that is way more psychedelic, um, 
their most recent, second most recent album uh, had a lot of that on it. It was just stuffed with sort of oddments and B-sides and whatnot. Um, but yeah, generally on their albums, they try to tentpole around one or two like really catchy, maybe not American radio friendly, but like Australian or UK radio friendly type, um, you know, throwback songs. And then the rest of it is kind of either like this or more on the punk side from their earlier stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot to like about this band and I own most of their records on vinyl. I've seen them live just once here in the cities um, and they're really good, uh, highly talented. The only thing that I've noticed is like when I show them to friends, it's like, yeah, well, what sticks out about them? And it's like, well, you got to listen to maybe four albums of six minute songs before you start to notice what you really, yeah, what you really yeah. would get into. Because one <laughs> of these a, songs isn't like a... I have a high like tolerance a, for jamming, so... I'm glad. Okay. Maybe you should check the rest of them yeah, out. Yeah, no, it's I, all on Spotify. I, like, like, I really yeah. enjoyed this. I think I'll probably maybe check this particular album out just because I, I like this song. Yeah. And uh, that would be a very... Um, what was that one Steely Dan record that we uh, talked to Mike Drucker about on here? The Royal Scam. The Royal Scam. That would be a very Steely Dan, The Royal Scam opinion of you is like, this isn't considered their hottest album. White Dan's you know, biggest thing. This isn't the one that people pull out when they want to show friends, but oh, it okay. becomes Matt's favorite. You know, it's, it's got a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why. I mean, I listened to a, the, you know, their other songs in this album and a few others, and I just, I don't This is the one that kind of stuck out to me that I wanted to talk nice. about. But they seem like they'd be really fun live, too. Just, you know, I'm sure they do a lot of improv and stuff on yeah, stage. Yeah, a lot of improv, a lot of, a lot of medleys. They speed things up, slow things down. It's really good. They're accomplished, we'll say. Um, cool. We are four minutes into the six yeah, minute song. Yeah, I assume so. we want to scoot on so yeah, we can get time um, for other stuff. <laughs> I bet you were surprised that I picked this one. Um, and I am a little nervous. Uh-huh. I feel like I may be. I'm being groomed to like anime, but <laughs> I'm scared. And I think this is a trap. This whole album is a trap. It's an album called Sailor Wave, which I'm sure is Sailor, Sailor Moon, 3. which I've never watched, except I've, I remember that big guy with the Sailor Moon costume meme from years ago. Uh, and then uh, the band, I believe, are artists. I don't know if it's a, probably a, a single person or if it's a group. Yeah, um, yeah. Macross. Um, 82 through 89, <laughs> which is a appropriate name. It's definitely rooted in, you know, the, the very glossy kind of pop sounds and synth sounds of the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, this one, I, I really have no frame of reference for this band or this artist at all. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of this stuff like future wave and outrun and, you know, synth wave and all this stuff. And what's the, uh, What's the big one? City pop. City pop. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it feels like it's part of that. I'm not necessarily sure. Um, but so tell me like a little bit about this. And I guess we can start the song. It, it definitely feels sure. like in, it's interesting to me the way that, you know, things from my childhood have, can sort of be like recycled now in the Internet age with sort of a mm-hmm. different um, texture and a different approach to music. Yeah. Uh, so here is Let It Be Real featuring Emmy Aramaki from Macross 8299's Sailor Wave 3. Yeah, it's got almost like a Pet Shop Boys kind of thing going on. Mm-hmm. And those really like those DX7, like Yamaha DX7 synth sounds and stuff that are like kind of dated, but in a cool way. For sure. Uh, so this, I believe, is one artist, um, you know, featuring, of course, collaborators like the vocalist on this track. 
uh, Mexican artist uh, who goes by Macross8299. I don't know way too much about their actual product, but I know that um, a lot of their work is... Uh, is anime and I guess 80s, 90s uh, imported culture influenced. Um, this is from the record Sailor Wave 3, which is, as you might be able to tell, like uh, the third in a series of compendiums that are sort of inspired thematically, lyrically, whatever, by the long running Sailor Moon and highly influential uh, anime Sailor Moon. Um, oh, I know, I know. But yeah, I know. You, you remember. You remember the height <laughs> of that day. Uh, it. As you said, it's part of like a growing trend, especially in the last two or three years. I like this. It's it's a great melody. I I chose this one. I mean, I actually listened to a few songs and almost picked another one prior to this. But I I like this one because I feel like they really go for it on the song by bringing in a you know a really skilled singer that Mm -hmm. definitely sounds like pop singers of the eighties. You know, and it, it it felt like some of the songs felt like this weird refracted kind of deconstructed 80s music but this one it felt like they were really trying to kind of go for it and make something that felt like it could be a hit in like 1986 Mm -hmm. or something for sure i mean vocally alone like the production is a little bit cleaner than you might remember from the 80s uh and you know some of the some of the plugins and stuff i'm sure they couldn't mimic back then but Uh, um i don't know if it's it almost feels more lo-fi than the eight you know i don't know i was gonna ask about your opinion of like the lo-fi um obviously it's intersected with a whole lot of other like technological improvements and i feel like lo-fi has that certain connotation of like oh you'll hear like crinkling static in the back and like all the drums sort of like clip everything else out because it's supposed to be like emulating the sound of a shitty speaker almost rather than just like intentionally low fidelity production how do you feel generally about well that, that i mean i movement? guess that's kind of the traditional thing of lo-fi you know like mm-hmm. bands like guided by voices back in the 90s that were doing like cassette you know four track stuff on purpose sure. you know that was very staticky and things but i don't this just feels like it's not trying to be lo-fi it just if you listen to say like a bananarama song from the 80s or something like you know those songs were made in like huge expensive studios where they were like you know recording like at the time, like twenty thousand dollars since onto like analog tape with like right, right, you know, real old school pro like engineers and stuff. So I think there's just like this feels like a little thin, maybe, and maybe that's purposeful because like I'm sure that you know there's a lot of inspiration from like hearing stuff on television and hearing stuff in video games and, and things where like it's naturally yeah. sort of a compressed sound. So like I, I mentioned that on the pop uh, top forty one that we did, you know, I. Mm-hmm. I just find this stuff interesting because it's not necessarily for me, but um, I find the ways that they sort of process history and, and different older styles of music into something that feels like that. But then there's definitely something that's different and sort of like more postmodern, which is sort of a yeah. loose term about it. If I if I had to nail it down, it's that like because this is it collides between so two like maybe not disparate but different cultural movements between like the lo-fi thing the redis the reemergence of city pop generally uh, out of japan and like just that tsunami nostalgia that people my age generally tend to have mm-hmm. of like after school watching anime and sort yeah. of hearing all these like you said what they're hearing on tv just bleeds into what they end up making as yeah, artists. i mean you know i like this music quite a they bit. probably heard that stuff through like terrible television speakers right right so right it's, it's like it's not trying to be lo-fi in the sense where it's like poorly recorded on purpose or like mm-hmm. noisy or like you know that kind of surface noise stuff but it just feels like thin in a, a weird way to me um yeah. also was sonic the hedgehog music like end up 
being like really influential or something. <laughs> I, I was going to reference. I wasn't sure if it was too deep a cut, but supersonic racing was, was the one that I was going to re- compare this track to. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember, like I'm not never been a, you know, I like Sonic. I'm not a huge uh, aficionado of Sonic. Matt declares but, uh, war on Sonic the Hedgehog in his prime heyday. Oh no. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, but I just, I was listening to some of this stuff and I was like, man, it just has that vibe of like what I remember Sonic, Sonic music kind of sounding like, and I'm sure that you know that era of video games was probably uh, an influence on all this stuff. But it's it yeah, just really funny to me. Um, <laughs> Good pull. And uh, yeah, so the next one now we're another. These have been very different, very uh, mm-hmm. you know 180 degree shifts here. Um, this one I, I really like. I actually bought this album, um, not just the track, partially mm. because they wouldn't let me, and also they're very short. So I had the song Decoy and Simple Affairs. They're the interesting band they're called Fievel is Glauk. Um, I believe that's pronounced. And I, yeah, I, I couldn't pronounce it for you, but uh, just for the listeners' sake, a lot of these names are going to be like that. Uh, the names and links will be in the show notes. So yeah, and uh, so I'm I'm curious about this band. This uh, this is odd actually, and we just were talking about lo-fi recording. This actually is kind of lo-fi in the more traditional sense, but it's also inspired. You know, it definitely, definitely inspired by. Uh, like the Getz Gilberto album, like Girl from Ipanema kind of mm. that sort of like, you know, jazz kind of, uh, you know, mm. South American mm-hmm. vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's kind of lo-fi and kind of dirtily recorded. And then they sort of like throw in these weird changes that wouldn't have necessarily appeared in that kind of music back in the, in the fifties and sixties. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. So I'm just really curious, like how you got onto this band and, and what, if you know anything about what their story is. Yeah, it was actually through. It was the ideal Bandcamp experience. I just happened to go to Bandcamp one day, uh, sort of interested in finding what I could. And I think it was, it must have been early 2021 because there's a piece specifically that was uh, highlighting them on the homepage, the daily, whatever that's called, um, January 8th of 2021. So sometime around then. Uh, and it just highlighted this this record. Um, the record is called God's Trash Men Sent to Write the Mess by Five Lives Glauk. I like that title uh, and, as well. So that was hard to resist. <laughs> it is good. It's, it's, um, it stuck in my ear because, and this was just a confluence of events. Um, I have another podcast where we talk about movies and the movies that we had been discussing not too long before I saw this piece were the films of Jacques Tati, um, sort of a quintessential French. Uh, he basically directed, I mean, shorthand is he directed a bunch of movies that are like the Mr. Bean of before Mr. Bean, uh, this goofy guy <laughs> named, named, uh, Monsieur Hulot. Uh, you should check them out. They're actually still very funny, very good. Um, if you've got a thing for, I guess, practical comedy. Uh, but, and I was, and I heard that I've decided to take a chance listening to this music name stuck in my head for just all the weird consonants and vowels it's got. And when I listened to it, I was like, this could be in one of those movies, not just production wise, but like, uh, melodically, it's very poppy, few jazz fusiony. It sounds like it's straight out of like the fifties, sixties sort of, uh, you know, hip, guys jazz club scene uh and it just like it just hit at the right time i find myself listening to it um on my walks because it is very sort of jaunty mm-hmm. uh i find myself <laughs> no, it, it, it's good it is jaunty it is jaunty it's very jaunty it's very i don't jaunty. use that word then, enough but yeah it's jaunty and let's, then i guess we I, yeah go ahead. uh did you want to play simple affairs or decoy first let's try decoy because i think that's a little bit more um trad sure sure this is decoy by five Liz glauk from god's trashman sent to write the mess I mean, this is really girl from Ipanema, big time. Yeah, like, yeah. The kind of French pop, too. Mm-hmm. 
this might be one of the most whistleable melodies I've heard. Yeah, it's lifetime. very playful. I, I mean, it sticks in your head. And yeah. I, I think this was a cassette release when I bought it. Um, so that's kind of maybe really? has to something to do with this sort of like somewhat lo-fi sound, which I'm just not used to that in jazz. You know, jazz are like generally always recorded exceptionally well, right? And, and yeah. super hi-fi. It sort of made me think when I first listened to it, is this a re-release? Like, was this actually recorded in the, you know, early 70s or something? No, it's a, it's a brand new release in 2021. Um, and they actually, I think they pressed it to vinyl when it released. And then recently, like now, I think they're repressing it again for oh, cool. a May release or something. So I decided to pre- pre-order it for that too. Um, so I'm glad we came back to it. And these songs are like super short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a minute This one is half. still going, but it's literally like two minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. We and this is one of the longer tracks, like by the way. Seconds. For sure. It's kind of got that like furniture music type. <laughs> like you could ignore it. It's a little bit Muzak-y. Yeah. But, do you know um, like, uh, do you know the theme from Taxi, the old show that like Danny no. DeVito started on? Should we play it? I mean, hey man, I'll never, I'll never turn down the theme from Taxi. This has a very nice vibe to it. Yeah. Um, I also the the other one I wanted to hear because this one sort of um, shows a side where sometimes they they capture that that sort of vibe and era very well, but then they often throw in a, a few things that definitely wouldn't have appeared in music of that era, like a little wilder. Than, mm-hmm. than that kind of stuff would be, and I think Simple Affairs kind of has a few breaks that are a little bit, a little bit more out there. But it's definitely sort of an interesting way that they kind of um, both capture a time frame, but do things that are sort of anachronistic and maybe wouldn't have yeah. occurred in that era. For sure, uh, we'll hear Simple Affairs. Like this part, you know, just going ham on that sax. Now it's back to, you know. Mm-hmm. I should say, um, I don't know how much research you did, but this is a group that uh, swaps performance groups every few tracks. Hmm. So actually, the two tracks you selected were played by different people, uh, with oh. I think one or two bass people, including the vocalist. Wow, um, okay. Yeah. Yeah, like this kind of speed up part is cool. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's, that's not um, yeah. unknown in like, you know, jazz is, was definitely more of a, there's certainly great jazz bands that's played together for long times, but they, there was always like sessions where they would just pull together a bunch of great players and kind of put them mm-hmm. in a room for like one day. Yeah. And make in, a in the interest of that, in that spirit, I guess, um, the going wild sax solo you keep hearing is by a player named Shoko Igarashi. Uh, who was highlighted on this track and a few others from the record, but... He's really good. I love this part. There's this meme on TikTok that's really hot now, man. You you must have seen it. Um, <laughs> where where there's a guy imitating people in uh, in music school, and he's like, when you're out to dinner with 
somebody, you know, in jazz school or whatever. And the guy's just like rattling off old 1940s and 50s slang, like, mm, these cats are cooking. They're really, they're really firing it up. And that's how <laughs> I feel listening to this music now. It's the, um, the awesome sketch on Tim Robinson, the Colgate, the Colgate, <laughs> the Colgate hour, comedy hour, Tim yeah. Heidecker was like, nobody, nobody, <laughs> flugelhorn player, Colgate, you know, like, I love that, that record snob guy, jazz snob. That's that was so one of good. my favorite sketches on that thing. Um, oh man. But, uh, uh, well, that was, that was five of those Glauk. Uh, thank you for picking those. It was good to go back to those. I sort of not stopped listening to them after the new year and got into some new music, but I'll yeah, be taking a no, few more I, listens now. I really enjoyed that album and I, I have it now in my collection. So I'm going to probably listen to it more. Um, I'm glad. the next band I know is a, this is a band I've definitely heard of, you know, they're very covered in like indie press and, you know, I think they're a pretty big mm-hmm. indie rock band of the moment, a hot one right now. Um, pup, which I know you're a big fan of and big fan. I kind of want to do Pup because I knew you were a big fan of that band in general. And I have um, I think I've checked them a little bit out in the past. And then so I was kind of going through your catalog of Pup stuff. And this one stuck out to me because this kind of, uh, I mean, the the band itself is extremely rooted in like 90s indie rock and turn of the century mm-hmm. indie rock. And this is a cover of a band that I was a huge fan of, you know, in the early 2000s really? called Granddaddy. Um, actually, they're, oh, they're on the software slump. Might appear on this show as one of my picks someday. I kind Ooh. of forgot about how much I love that album. Um, but yeah, a band called Granddaddy. This is off their, um, I think their first album was Under the Western Freeway. A song called AM uh, 180. And uh, yeah, this is a good cover. I mean, they they definitely are, you know, true to some of the structure and, and the basics of it. But they definitely um, make it a little bit more aggressive. Um, and I think they kind of put their own stamp on it in a, in a cool way that doesn't necessarily, you know, devalue the original song. But it doesn't just mm-hmm. feel like they're, you know, trying to Xerox copy it like note for note kind of thing. So I don't know. You know, you're you're a pup. You're a pup head. This is what they call you guys. I'm a little puppy. Like um, dead heads, like pup heads. Pup heads. <laughs> Poop heads. You um, guys can just you guys can run with that. Just tell the community. Thanks. See, see what they you. think. I will yeah. I will seed it out on the Discord. Go to, go to Reddit the, uh, and slash, Reddit. you know, pup. <laughs> uh, our, well, let's pup, play a little bit pup. of this. R slash pup. Let's play a little bit of AM 180, a cover of Granddaddy's song by Pup. Yeah, I love this. I love that progression, that synth Mm, melody. That, like, from. That sort of like. Mm-hmm. Chromatic rise, mm. yeah, and just that dee 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 dee. That that's very granddaddy. They used a lot of kind of like a lot of their themes are sort of about like computers and stuff, but kind of in a way like of breaking down and kind of like archaic technology. So they used a lot of like really, really old synthesizers and things like that. Um, nice, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like a fool because when this came out, I did not pay attention at all. To the, I mean, it says on the cover art granddaddy cover did not pay attention to that assumed it was a pop song did not know the previous and original even the cover is basically just like a the cover of under the western freeway yeah it's a little bit of a piss take he's got googly eyes or whatever but it's the same thing like i just i did not know this group at all i assumed it was pop uh and fell in love with this song i, I really like it um 
And then when I was watching, I think it's 28 Days Later that this song, that the original appears in. I was like, what the fuck is that song? I I know I've heard this before, oh, but I, it hasn't I don't been remember like it appearing this. in 28 Days Later. I th- it, that's the one with Killian Murphy, right? The uh, zombie one? The one that's like zombies yeah. run oh, yeah. now? Yeah, I mean, it's a great yeah, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just watched that for the first time this past year. Oh, really? And, that's uh, a fun one. Yeah. I'm sure you love it. I that's like do, good horror. I, ooh, that is a really good... I mean, Brendan Gleeson alone in that movie? Whew. But anyway, um, so it's Gleason, a, it, when, it when isn't Gleason good? Tell me that. Uh, well, there's that scene in which in, in in Bruges where he just becomes street pizza after jumping off of a building. He doesn't look great there, but <laughs> yeah, otherwise he's. But I'm never notch. mad when when Brendan Gleeson pops up. I'm never mad about it. I'm always you like, know Sweet. you're in for a we're, fucking we're, ride. We're in the right direction. Um, but, yeah, but I like so, this. You know, I, and I, I did listen to some other pup stuff, and I think they're you know, like I said, they're good. very. They remind me like a lot of bands I saw back in that era. Um, but nice. yeah, they have good energy, and I mean. It seems like uh, I almost put the song Anaphylaxis until I found this one. That's a good one too. Um, but um, is it the new one I checked out too? And that seems like there may be the dreaded "quote unquote" mature album. A little bit, a little bit. <laughs> like it, it seemed a little bit less energetic, and I, they they rock this up a little bit more in a good way here. For sure, they're like you go back further, and they just get noisier and sort of more punky i guess it sounds yeah. elitist to say that but I, I really liked everything they put out uh varying degrees but i haven't disliked any of it um yeah they, i mean uh, they always bring the heat i think i'm such a uh natural music snob that i already like the early stuff of this band that i barely even know better <laughs> you've heard you five know, songs and you're I like mean, no, heard, the first one was best you know, i'm more of an anaphylaxis guy you know the new stuff <laughs> it's all right the dream you know, is over I mean, you know I like the first couple seven inches were cool, and they did a split. You know, they did a split they, uh, with that one band. They are one of those bands that um, I, I belong to their fan club, and they send out like what are those called floppies or yeah. whatever? Like it's a oh full yeah, flexi vinyl discs. Thing. They used flexi to like, disc. they used to put those in magazines back in the day. They did this. They made their own oh, zine one once upon a yeah, time. Flexi, I really like that. As a as a side note, I went to see them at the Fillmore here in Minneapolis um, a couple weeks ago, and I just got trampled. I was in the pit the entire time, know the words to every song. I was going wild. Uh, it's probably the last time I'll do that before you know, I guess winter sets in again because of COVID and whatnot. But uh, it was time of my life. I was just getting punched around. Glasses fell off. Shoes fell off. This crowd can get really wild, but they stopped it before things got too crazy. Uh, that is to say, they really bring it live. And they are just a ton of fun to listen to. Um, just put on there. This is on Spotify. You know, uh, you can pick out things that you like from there, from their earlier records. Um, but yeah, they are definitely headed more toward a, uh, I don't want to say listenable cause it's always been listenable, but more radio friendly type, like less outbursty type angsty. Whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah. How, I mean, actually, you know what? Sorry. I, I meant to talk about this at the beginning. Um, and it yeah. calls back to an, an old, uh, episode that we did with a guy named uh, Todd Hansen, uh, one of the original Onion writers, and was also, uh, what was that show he was on um, as a, uh, Squidbillies. Squidbillies, um, yeah. Which I, I really, that was a great episode. He was great. And, you know, oh, yeah. that Beach Boys album. Anyway, um, Nina Nastasha, uh, who was my pick, one of my favorite songwriters of all time, I got to see her uh, last night open for Mogwai. And oh, wow. um, I don't know if you saw, but she's announced a new album, her first in like 12 years. Um, I, I don't think I've seen her for 12 years. Um, and there's this, like, you can find the story on Pitchfork or her band camp, but, uh, she released a press release that was a bit harrowing, kind of detailing, like, her, um, relationship with, uh, this guy Kenner that was sort of her, a life partner and, uh, producer mm-hmm. that became, you know, increasingly, I guess, like, sort of manipulative and abusive. And, uh, 
that's why she sort of retired from music. And then, and it's a really kind of a, it's a horrible story. And then she defi- she mm-hmm. decided to um, leave him apparently. And then the next day he committed suicide. Um, so man. yeah, but she's she kind of um, hold up with her friend Steve Albini, the producer, in a like I think they went to like a lighthouse or something. And anyway, I'd seen her in the past. Sometimes she had a very kind of dark vibe. Sometimes she would seem a little unwell, like when she was speaking on stage and. It was just last night felt very triumphant for her. She was back. She was just her and acoustic guitar saying the best I've ever seen her sing. She seemed like happy and engaged. Um, she brought her dog out on stage and it was just, um, it's pretty emotional for me because I really never thought I'd see her again. And she like means a ton to me. And especially knowing now what had all been going on in her life, it just, it was really cool to see yeah. her. Like the crowd was also very respectful at Magway, you know, it was a very noisy, loud, noisy band. And, you know, they, the crowd, you could hear a pin drop. She even did an acapella song. Um, wow. So I don't know. That I just want to call like back to that episode. Yeah. Um, that record dogs is a great record that we did. And I, um, I'm, I'm excited for her new album called the riderless horse. And, uh, and it was, you know, a lot of the songs were very, um, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a very powerful album. I mean, I think her recent yeah. experiences are reflected in a lot of the new material and, uh, I don't know. It was just, a, it was just, it kind of reminds me like why I go to shows. You know what I mean? Sometimes you just get to shows and it's like, Jesus Christ, when does it get done? Yeah. You know? And it was yeah. just like one of those moments. And, uh, anyway, I'm I want to call back something we, like that. Yeah. Yeah. In, we, in recent, in recent weeks then, um, did, did you mention where you saw her? It was at the first Avenue main room. Um, wow. opening for the, and it was quiet there too, huh? Yeah. You know, and, and Mogwai is, you know, a pretty loud, like post-rock band and, yeah. um, so yeah, and I guess they, she said they just asked her. Is like there was fans, and they kind of came out of the blue and asked her to open this tour. Um, and I That's think great. it seems like it's going well for her, and she seemed just like the best I've ever seen her, especially just her sort of between song demeanor and and things like that. So um, incredibly powerful show, yeah. And I just you know it kind of ties into Crossfade a bit because we did it. Um, anyway, oh, that's awesome. That's my little uh, little um, detour there, um, which actually isn't uh, got- the worst lead into. To the a final song, song because from my these, list. Yeah. these guys definitely, I'm sure, uh, know her. Um, definitely, uh, Will Oldham is kind of from that same scene as her, and I think has some uh, similarities. This is an album. That, this is the one thing I picked that I I, I know and I like, and it's uh, artists mm-hmm. that I've followed for a long time. Also, Matt Sweeney, former guest on Crossfade, which is another exceptional episode. I thought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Super Wolves, and this uh, this is my blue suit, and this kind of just to me is. Like Will Oldham at his best, he has a, I think his best stuff has a very aching and sort of like melancholy um, nature to it. Um, I don't know, mm-hmm. you you obviously own this album, so uh, I don't know what, this is called My Blue Suit, what's your, uh, is this one that stuck out to you on that album? It is, uh, let me just get the music started for us, I don't want to talk over it too much, but um yeah, it's this and a couple other tracks that I just can't get out of my head from this record. Look better in my blue suit. I bought it, I think, the day we had Matt on the show because I was like, I want to, you know, show support for artists that people might not generally get to listen to, all that haughty stuff that I tell myself when I buy music. Mm-hmm. But then it just captivates you. It's just so earthen, I guess. Yeah. As long as you will hold your head up, make a sturdy step and walk it, roll me in a little ball and shove me fully in your pocket. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's a real eccentric, Will. You know, he's a... Better in my blue. And yet, I think this song 
like it has a pretty straightforward through thematic through line of like you know comparing your strengths and weaknesses to another person and mm-hmm. being able to share the spotlight with that person kind of thing the metaphor of wearing the blue suit better than i do i support you yeah he's an it amazing works. songwriter um and i think his voice is you know just it's hard not to be wistful with like the tenor of his voice um mm-hmm. yeah and, like uh, i assume he's very very old is he an old guy uh, I would say he's 50-ish. I would say he so sounded I'm, this way I'm when hearing, he was like 21. I was going to say, because he sounds like timelessly old. Like he could be 75 or he could be 30, you know? You know, in a weird way, he sounds a little younger now because I think he used to kind of even more over-exaggerate that aspect of his voice when he was young. Oh, really? Um, he's in, do you know the, um, you're a big movie guy. Um, do you know Madawan by John Sayles, I think? I've never seen it, but I do know of it. Yeah. I think Will is a like at, you know age like fifteen or whatever something is like a, he's a he plays like a hillbilly kid in that movie. Um, wow! Yeah, he's. I mean, just to give people some context, like uh, well, it's pretty a little bit. Then I do. You look better in my. The guitar work is so good. Sweeney's such a great finger picker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just a little background on Will Oldham. He's uh, he's a different guy. Um, he's he came out uh, calling himself Palace Brothers, and then okay. he called himself Palace Music, just Palace. Um, then he kind of had a new persona, which is Bonnie Prince Billy, um, and he did several albums. Uh, under that name and I think still records under that name sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he finally did albums also as Will Oldham, his real name. Uh, I guess if anyone, the one reference point, if you're not familiar that you might know is um, Johnny Cash in one of his later albums uh, covered Will, uh, Will's song, um, the Bonnie Prince Billy song, I see a darkness. Um, okay. Which kind of had, you know, that got put in some movies and movie trailers and things like that. Um, he, he pops up in very odd places. Um, there's a, you should look it up on YouTube. There's a, um, there's an alternate video for you can't tell me nothing by Kanye (laughs) that stars Will Oldham and Zach Galifianakis, like (laughs) on a farm, kind of like acting like, (laughs) like rappers, but driving like tractors around. I have no idea how he gets in these weird places. Kind of like, you know, Sweeney just seemed to like pop up in these places like oh yeah i was working with neil diamond all of a sudden you know yeah, like yeah. will just seems to pop up uh in weird spots um but yeah i have i, I have an anecdote that kind of uh i saw him once at an in-store at a record store here called roadrunner uh uh-huh. and he, he showed up and <laughs> he just was like all he had was like this little tiny old like you know hatchback car like a geo or something and a guitar mm-hmm. and he shows up and like he'd been at the current that day and so John, the record store owner, said, like, he had this huge bag of granola bars because he would just went around the current and just dumped all, like, their little, like, complimentary snacks into his bag <laughs> and just <laughs> took them. Uh, and Sick. then he walks in and he's got a bottle of tequila. So him and John start, like, doing shots of tequila. He plays this just amazing set, you know, just like it was very much like solo acoustic. So, like, what we just heard, you know, was mm-hmm. definitely the vibe of things. Uh, I mean, it, I was awestruck. I think I have a bootleg of it somewhere, but um, 
It's an amazing <laughs> set. So then they had posters, which were really cool. So I bought one, and you could like wait in line to get it signed. And so at this point, he hadn't been to Minneapolis. I think it'd been like over like ten ten years, and I'd never wow. had a chance to see him because he just never came through. And so I, when I got to the line, you know, I gave him my poster to sign, and I said, "Hey, man, you know, like I really." Uh, I'm a big fan of your music. I was kind of, I sometimes I just say like, I'm just going to be that dork just because I like him so much, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, and I really, I'm so thankful that you came through Minneapolis and I hope in the future, you know, you can come back more often, hopefully. And he said, oh yeah, because you know, Pangea. <laughs> and I said, and then I thought, I was like, oh, like, you mean the, the country's going to kind of like fold? So like, the East Coast will be closer to like the Midwest. And he's like, he deadpan looks at me. He's like, exactly. <laughs> and then he shook my hand with a, and he has a very firm grip. And he shook my hand like for like five beats too long. You know, when, it, when, a, <laughs> Perfect. when a handshake yeah. goes a little too long and it's, it's getting like, dude, this is starting to be uncomfortable. <laughs> and so then he let my hand go and he had a real grip. Uh, my hand was a little like, dang, dude, chill out. Um, <laughs> and then he signed my poster, which I still have it. It's, he signed it, um, Pangea forward for unity X Bonnie X. Hell yeah. So, oh my God, that's like the type of duty is. And I, I, I strongly encourage if it's still out there on YouTube, like that Kanye video is unbelievable. Um, him and Galifianakis, but. Yeah, so that's just kind of the general vibe of of Will Oldham. He's a he's a a strange dude, uh, a very talented songwriter, and he's he's made a lot of music that I've I've loved over the years. So I wanted to yeah, include that's, that. But. This this is the first record. This one, Super Wolves with Matt Sweeney, is the first I've heard from him. But mm-hmm. I guarantee you, you'll have a good time listening to that album. Um, uh, Take care of my girls and Hall of Death are like two songs that won't leave my head mm-hmm. uh, from that record. So. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. should check out. Um, I think like I see a darkness by Bonnie Prince Billy. That's a, a big one. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of some other ones. Uh, Beware is a good one. I also see that he was in a uh, Kelly Reichert movie. Um, the lady who did first cow from a couple of years ago. Yep. That makes uh, sense. He that was, makes... he was one of the leads in that. And a lot of my friends on letterbox like it. So I think I'm going to boot that up tonight. Um, oh yeah. There's a, there's a movie called old joy. That is it. Yeah. Oh, that's Kelly. Oh that's wow. Kelly that makes so much sense. Uh huh. The vibe, that kind of loose, um, kind Natural. of loose vibe of the, I don't want to say plotless, but, mm-hmm. you know, very loose. Um, it doesn't move too quickly. Yeah. I saw that as part of the Sound Unseen Music Festival here years, years ago. Really? Yeah, that's a, that's a great movie. I'll it, check it out. It's really on HBO movie. now. Hey, everybody, watch Old Joy. Yeah. Tie-ins uh, to Crossfade. I'm, I'll be very curious what you think of that. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to like it. All my friends do. I liked her, the other movie I've seen from her. Um, but this isn't a movie podcast. Matt, my goodness. Uh, that was a wonderful diversion into Bonnie Prince Billy's discography and filmography. Uh, but we have some other songs to discuss. That was all five of the ones you picked from my yep. list. Um, I appreciate it because they were all ones that I felt like I could talk about. I hope I did the same for you with the list that I pulled together. Um, do you want to intro it or should I? Sure. <laughs> the first one is funny because... Sometimes I pick up stuff on Bandcamp and I forget I have it. <laughs> and this was recommended to me um, by this guy who goes under the name on Twitter, Musicophilia, and musicophilia.wordpress.com. He makes these amazing mixtapes uh, online and they're released as like a single, like, you know, 50 minute MP3 file. 
unbelievable taste and, and just curation of that guy. So mm-hmm. he was doing this thing on Bandcamp where every after the George Floyd, um, you know, murder of George Floyd and the riots, he was doing this thing on Bandcamp Fridays where like, you know, retweet an African American album that you love and I'll I'll buy you one. And so I just told him like of your choice, but I said, you know, you got good taste, like just give me something you think is cool. And he gave mm-hmm. me this one, Zero, um, Z-E-R-O-H, um, who's kind of a, an L.A. Um, rapper producer from that sort of underground scene. I think he's has some ties to like Flying Lotus and people like that. Um, that makes sense. But yeah, this is, I mean, we talked about psychedelic. This is kind of psychedelic in the more disturbing way, like mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like falling apart and uh, coming together in maybe disturbing ways. Um, well, let's hear it. And then I, I'm curious why you why you picked this one. Yeah, uh, this is The Lord and Nature by Zero from the album Blacklight. Rejoice in the progress you have made since the Emancipation Proclamation, yet remain firm and determined in your efforts to attain civil and political equality. We have yet a great distance to go and endurance is of essence. I've been watching with your humble feelings on it. Pray the real will upon it. Feel us full upon the spirit. On it, bitch. Don't kill for it. It ain't no light important. You know the Lord of billions. Bro, you know you can't afford it. You blacking out the mirror. Yeah, this is how I explored it. Eat the embodied, I'm fearless. Music is how I explore it. Ripping, dipping, chipping, kicking ass. Okay. So I think we've had a good taste of why I pulled this song, and it's one because of his performance. The dynamics in his voice are wild. I feel like he's just giving me like the most interesting TED talk I've ever heard. Because <laughs> it's almost conversational, and he'll like go way up here, and then he'll come back down. It's not like uh, it's not like what I anticipated. I guess of rap I've never heard of. Um, I find myself drawn more to the performance of rap than the lyrical content. I'm trying to come around on that because as I get lyric sheets in front of me, stories start to emerge and stuff. But my first read of any hip hop or rap is still like musically what is happening here. And this one really caught my ear because not just his vocals, but because of who makes a beat out of this. (laughs) This, Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh... like just going wild, going up the keyboard and sort of striking sharp chords. I love that. Yeah. It was very avant-garde, you know, this, it, it reminds me of, like, there was these kind of really arty groups in, like, the early 2000s, like, Anti-Pop Consortium, Deep Puddle mm-hmm. Dynamics, the Freestyle Fellowship, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I love this. It's like, I love that the track really never coalesces into this one thing. His flow yeah. seems to change, and, like, here... This kind of disembodied, like, pitch-shifted singing. Yeah. Like, if you could follow what he was saying before just because of his, like, shifting lilt, it is completely out from under you now. Yeah. No, I, I was super glad you chose this because I'd forgotten about it. And now I'm like, well, I should. This is really cool and very this inventive. Is, this is probably what I'm going to end up buying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. This is. Uh, it's definitely not your, uh, you know, cookie cutter hip hop hit by any means. <laughs> yeah. And I. I just love that the stranger it gets, the more interesting it is to me, the more I actually want to listen to it. Like I, it's, it's to the point where like I'll be walking around my apartment, just going about my day and I'll hear this. It's like ride of the Valkyries or something, you know, that like that repetitive, like just gets you like ready to fight type of thing. It's a fight or flight type beat. And I, I love it. Yeah. And you know that sampling classical has a 
a good tradition you know like rizza from wu-tang did that and uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're one of the reasons that i think was like they're real easy to get by with copyright infringement uh-huh. because which of the like <laughs> 1000 nobody's versions coming after of, you for chopin yeah well i mean yeah there's, there's like a thousand records of the same piece you know what i mean so mm-hmm. who's gonna ever track it down and half of them are public domain half of them are yeah. stock music yeah chopin's dead so <laughs> so who gives a shit yeah fuck him fuck chopin no he's great very talented <laughs> yeah. young man He's going places. Um, but yeah, this nice. is great. I love this song. I, I, I look forward to kind of like having a, like when I'm doing something sort of menial at work, just like listening to this album and kind of zoning out to it. It's really cool. Yeah. You could. I see how you could. But yeah, Alrighty. it's great. And uh, next, next one I have on my list is something I'm also very glad you picked. Um, this is an artist who I, I, I think is one of the kind of the great artists right now, I think, operating in general in music. Uh, Shabaka Hutchings, this is his group, Shabaka and the Ancestors. He also does business under the name The Comet is Coming. Uh, I dropped something, sorry. Uh, and Sh- uh, Sons of Kemet um, and a few other things. Um, he's a uh, London-based uh, jazz performer. Um, mm-hmm. Young, you know, like jazz young, so like 39. Um but uh, yeah, he's he's amazing. I've seen him uh, play with the Comet is coming. Um, Sons of Comet just played here. Actually, I didn't. I wasn't able to go. But oh dang! I think he's super talented. and He's kind of at that. Like I think uh, we're in a great great period of jazz right now. I think there's a ton of excitement and a ton of younger artists that are pushing you know jazz in different directions. Um, and I think this is a great example of this. This is a, a song off the Shabaka and the Ancestors album called The Observer. Probably have to maybe skip ahead because it has a couple different movements, yeah. I guess. But um, I don't know where you want to jump to, but you know, it does actually, it. actually, the beginning because um, a lot of his bands like Sons of Kemet and um, The Comet is Coming are they're very hyper in certain ways. And this, uh, I like the beginning of this piece because he actually gets to stretch out. Sometimes you don't really get a sense of his like his tone as a saxophonist and like his melodic sense because he's playing a lot of really rhythmic stuff that goes with this very you know frenzied percussion and things. Or like mm-hmm. or synthesizers and beats in, in the case of Comet is Coming. So I, I actually liked him in a little bit more of a not traditional mode, but uh a more a more traditional mode than I think he usually operates in. And he's got a great tone and melodic sense. Okay. Well here is the Observer by Shabakat and the Ancestors from Wisdom of Elders. This is very meditative, um, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Reminds me of some Coltrane stuff a little bit. Um, but we should skip ahead. Sure. It gets a little bit more animated yeah. as it progresses. It's a long and piece as well. This might be like eight minutes or something. Yeah, let's see. At about 2.39 or so, let me check my timestamp. It does go into more of a 
straight groove. Let's pop around there. I love this part too. I'll let it go for a second. Almost reminds me of like Paul Robeson or Harry Belafonte kind yeah, of stuff. The like those traditionals, yeah. All right. Uh, here we're going to jump ahead to the next movement, and just before it goes into the next movement, he says, "A new, a new dawn is coming, or a new beginning, or something." Just listen. A new beginning, and then waiting for the drop. This is a great bass part. It is. This is that straight cowboy bebop hit, you know? That's another anime reference. Maybe maybe you can't appreciate <laughs> that just yet. Bebop. Where Someday. would American jazz be without cowboy bebop, I ask you? Honestly, a lot of kids, I'll bet, got into jazz from cowboy <laughs> bebop. Um, but man, it just... The rest of the song from here, it, it's such a tone change. Like... It goes into like sort of this hymnal hum later on, but this middle section is very energetic, very shuffly, yeah. this really good groove. <laughs> rocks. Yeah, and like I said, for me this is great because, you know, he's really stretching out like in a in more traditional soloist sense here than he does on some of his other stuff. Um, not that he doesn't mm. do solos, but uh, it's more frenzied and... Um, I really like this album. It's great. And he's he's so talented. I really encourage you to check out any of his music. Um, I saw The Comet is Coming, and it was amazing. It was just a drummer, him, and a guy in an old Moog, like, analog synthesizer. Um, it was almost like this. <laughs> all, it's all you need, man. Well, I, I mean, that's more influence. I mean, you know, he's, he's in his late 30s from England, so, you know, he definitely grew up in that era of England where, like, you know, house music and deep uh-huh. techno stuff was way more mainstream than it was in the US you know mm-hmm. so I think he's sort of influenced by those type of things that maybe weren't as big in America at that time and the, you know the rave scene was a very you know before we had these big EDM festivals here and it was more underground like warehouse shows here they were having huge raves in England and stuff so mm. I think some of that stuff pops up as, in addition to his jazz background I knew that the name The Comet Is Coming rang a bell. We discussed one of their songs on our very first Crossfade Shuffle. Do you remember? Oh, really? Um, yeah. I it's mean, called I, Blood I, of the Past. I, 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 yeah. I forgot about Suggested that. Suggested by MinMax listener uh, Keaton Johnson. Thank you again, Keaton, for that suggestion. I do remember enjoying it. I don't remember exactly what it sounds like, but I knew yeah. that I remembered that name. And I do want to just encourage people, um, you know, I think there's sort of an old canard that, you know, jazz is dead or it's, you know, this old people thing. Mm. There's a lot of energy in jazz right now. Um, people like Micaiah McRaven, uh, who I've seen, uh, Jamie Branch's Fly or Die, who I saw this summer outside, uh, Natural Information Society, Jeff Parker, Ambrose uh, uh, Morrissey, I think is how you pronounce the name, Kamasi Washington's pretty big, Ben Lamar Gay, mm-hmm. um, even like uh, Pharaoh Sanders, who's one of the last living legends at 82, did an album with the electronic artist Floating Points last year. Um, He's still around? Pharaoh's still around. He put out a really cool album last year. It's a very like kind of meditative, almost ambient record with uh, electronics and saxophone. 82 wow. years old. Yeah. 
with a, a, a electronic producer. Nice. So, and also the uh, I'll plug the, the label International Anthem out of Chicago. They they consistently put out great jazz records and very adventurous stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated because every website calls this an instrumental song, even though there's clearly vocals in the beginning and ending portions, but it does not sound like uh, American English, so I guess I don't feel too bad about not understanding the words. This is a nice solo here. We should probably move it forward. This is a long song. We could. This is a good one, deep. though. Yeah, it's I'm a great right. one. It's a great pick. I'm. I'm very. Uh, I'm glad it hit for you. Yeah. yeah I just. I, I listened to it at the time, and then I, I just had sort of. You get lost in the shuffle, and so I was happy to revisit this one. Um, the nice. next one is, you know, this is definitely a capital I indie rock band of the moment. Um, maybe you know the hottest indie rock band I think right now. Um, Big Thief, who we've also. Um, We've also featured on the show in the past. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so this album, uh, I know we're both big fans of um, this album. What is it? It's got a dumb title, The Dragon and what? Uh, Dragon New Warm Mountain, I Believe in You. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's a great record. Um, I really thought that they kind of hit a new level with this album. It obviously got a lot of attention, so much so that I had to sort of abandon it because the Twitter discourse on this album was kind of driving yeah, me nuts. Yeah, we talked about how it ate itself alive, yeah. And maybe i kind of wanted to put it aside so i just listened to it like a record again um but yeah this is a very diverse record it's very you know like this song is sort of indicative of some adventurous stuff they do a lot of interesting percussion but it does has a lot of very folk and country elements to it um yeah so why i mean this is a double record and i mean i think pretty much every song is great to me so why did why did this one uh, kind of stick out to you uh well you know it's Honestly, I, I couldn't choose uh, one track from this record. And when I was going through Bandcamp, it just like it would serve you the single that it wanted to show you um, at, when you like just select the album and you don't own it on Bandcamp. And I don't own this one on Bandcamp yet. Uh, and I thought, you know, this is good, it's good a place as any to like show off what this album is about. Um, time Escaping, uh, which I'll cue up here because the beginning of this song is one of the things that I love the most about it. The instrumentation on whatever they're playing as the song starts. So it's just noise, right? And then they add a rhythm. They add something that's legitimately like... Yeah, I get a vibe maybe of some household items or things, you know? like You know, that's what I was... It reminded me of when I was a kid. That's a really good shuffle drop. Um, It reminded me of when I was a kid and I would put rubber bands over Kleenex boxes and make like little guitars (laughs) and and shit. And then, you know, when you get a metal box, it sounds different. It sounds more resonant. It sounds more Mm -hmm. metallic, I guess. Um, It... Like this song starts out almost childishly, just like that sort of dropping melody, this Mm -hmm. instrumentation thing. And her voice, you know, not unaccompanied, but there's no no, like body to the song yet. I love how it builds. Um, It's very catchy uh, in almost like a... We discussed Paul Simon on this show as well, and then I kind of got into Paul Simon, and this reminds me of some of Paul Simon's work that, like, <laughs> very world music influence, yeah. very rhythmically interesting. Yeah. Kind of like, yeah, Graceland era stuff, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of, like, you know, I used to take chopsticks from Chinese takeout and then, like, you know, put different plastic buckets and containers and stuff, you know, upside yeah. down, and, like, kind of make a little, like, plastic drum kit when I was really little 
kind of reminds yeah. me of that too. But but I love the, the chorus is really great. Yeah, that sort of soaring melody and how there's like an extra beat in there. Uh, it's a great album. Um, maybe when the Twitterverse cools down, you can go back to it. And, <laughs> I know, always just start Twitter to enjoy kills it again. my enjoyment of everything. Yet I go on it every day. Well, now that Elon Musk is taking a yeah. is planning a hostile takeover <laughs> of the whole platform, uh, you have more reasons to dislike it. Yes. But this is a great song. I, I, I think it this is. is a... It is. There are more. There are probably songs that I enjoy actually listening to more on this record. But I wanted to know what you felt about it um, because we've discussed like how we both kind of like it, but we haven't specifically dug into you know tracks or reasons. Uh, yeah. What What is it about this record that stuck out to you before you? Um, I just feel like the they they sort of were able to be diverse, but yet it, it seemed to have a core in a, a, a sort of a, a sense of itself you know it, like okay sometimes when you try to be diverse and you have you almost it's almost a magpie feel where you're just like doing these genre exercises like hey we're gonna do a little rumba thing and we're gonna do a punk right thing. whereas this like despite you know some very different tones and, and different instrumentations it still felt like it was kind of part of a unified whole if that makes sense um yeah for sure because like the and song that before, right before yeah. this is one of my favorites called spud infinity yeah. And that's very like very American folk, very country. It even has like a jaw harp in it, you know, the kind of boing boing kind of thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yet they don't seem at odds with each other in the in, even though they're back, you know, back to back in the runtime. But they're just a talented band. I mean, who's the guitar player? Buck something. Uh, Buck Meek, I think. Buck Meek, yeah. Plus, I mean, I had to do the callback. We did an episode about this, and like, I kind of want to set the stage that Bandcamp isn't just for artists you don't know, sort of thing. Like, artists you know and like are putting their music up for ba- on Bandcamp for you know digital purchasing. Yep, support them easily. This is probably the way that I'll buy this album because I'm not going to go to their, any of their shows super soon, uh, and I don't want to pay shipping charges, and I would just want to give them money, you know. Yep. Yeah, I got this on Bandcamp because mm-hmm. I there was a way to pre-order the vinyl. Um, but Sick. yeah. Excellent album. Obviously, they're I think they're kind of hitting a peak right now in terms of their um, ability and popularity. So I would hope I'd like to see them. Uh, that would be cool. I, I do think they're playing this this summer uh, in Minneapolis. Yeah, I just worry if that's already sold out, but we'll see. I, shows mm-hmm. aren't selling as well as I think they used to. Just I think we're still in that kind of post COVID thing a little bit. Um, yeah, not maybe post COVID, but COVID thing. Uh, but anyway. Uh, great, great record, great band. And like I said, you can go back to our, our previous episode. We did a, an album by them. Uh, With Kirk Hamilton. Yes, of, uh, that was songs. Awesome. He was so good. He knew so much about music. He was very good. Just, I'm jealous every time I listen just to his podcast. Shit about music like we do. <laughs> out of our asses. Um, but uh, yeah, he was good. All right. This next All one right. is, um, I was really happy you uh, picked this one. Mark Fossen, uh Jubilaya off his, um, I believe it's the Lost Tacoma Demos album. Um, yeah, this is sort of a whole genre of music uh, called American Primitive Music. It's a largely solo guitar. Um, it uses a lot of alternate tunings. I think the influences were sort of like Indian and European classic meets like folk and blues forms. Um, the creator of it is John Fahey. Uh, he's, he literally created a genre himself. Um, and, uh, he had a label called Tacoma records and, uh, you know, he put out a lot of people, uh, Peter Lang, uh, who's actually from Minneapolis and I was lucky enough to take a few lessons from, uh, just a wonderful guy, deeply Hmm. amazing guitar player. 
Uh, Leo Kotke, who, Jason, you said you knew a little bit. He's probably the most uh, commercially successful person to come out of this uh, landscape. Um, you know, but there's tons of people uh, that modern, very young players in this um, in this zone uh, to, you know, very old players. Um, and it's sort of a tradition unto itself. I got very into it for a while. I learned finger picking and I got very obsessed with this genre. Um, and so Mark Fawson, basically, he had signed with Tacoma, which is sort of the American primitive label, right? As it was sort of ending due to like, you know. I think poor business decisions and just like the weight of trying to run an independent label. Uh, and Fahey wasn't maybe the most stable person in the mid to late seventies. Um, mm-hmm. had quite a drinking problem and other things. Uh, but this album, because it, it was signed, but then the label went out of business. It sort of like sat on the table for decades after that and was eventually re-released. Uh, I was lucky enough to see him at the, uh, 1000 incarnations of the Rose festival in Tacoma park, Maryland, which is Fahey's hometown. Uh, it celebrated the 50th anniversary of his first recordings, and it was a really an international crowd of people that came to see, you know, uh, three days of amazing performances from new and old artists. And one was Fawson. Um, I got to see him in a park and uh, at like sort of a gazebo thing, and he was wonderful, amazing. And it was that was I think April of it was about four years ago exactly, and he, it was wow. April of that year. And then he by uh, in November he died of cancer. So. Um, I was I felt really wow. lucky to be able to see him and, and sort of even more amazed at how well he still played at that festival. Um, but yes, yeah, well, let's play it a little bit. And then I'm curious, like, what drew you to this um, this this song or this this style? Okay, uh, here's Jubilee by Mark Fossen from the Lost Tacoma Sessions. A lot of this stuff always makes me like think of like being on a country like highway, yeah, you know, like driving through fields. And that's one of the things I love about it so much. I don't know if it's like just you know Appalachian blood back a few generations in me or something, but something about this does just inspire that feeling. And it made me wonder as you were talking about seeing some of these artists in open air and in parks and stuff. Is that the best way that this music goes down? Is just like. Because I've seen you play this yep. kind of music yeah. a few I mean, times, and it's always not, like not at farmers markets. Not and as stuff. good as this, but I, well, I, I gave it no, a shot. I'll be the judge of that. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the the idea that um just like hearing it in open air among other people's voices, and just like recognizing it as part of the scenery, is that the best way to absorb this I mean, kind of music? Yeah, that it was it was beautiful to be outside, and they did a lot of things at different venues for you know a, a whole kind of long weekend of shows, but um. Yeah, I think it, de- it definitely feels tied to nature. I mean, Fahey himself was very motivated by the nature around him in Tacoma Park, which is now basically suburban D.C., but at the time, I think mm. it was more of a small town. And he had a particular affection for turtles. He was sort of semi-obsessed with turtles. Um, him and the rest of the internet. Yeah. Well, he was doing it back in like the you know late 50s, uh, early 60s. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Fahey himself is a whole kind of can of worms. He's a genius and, and also, you know somewhat of a troubled problematic man at times um hmm. but uh yeah there's, there's something sort of like i don't know inherently kind of wistful about this music and i think it kind yes. of reminds you of like the sun and 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 rivers and and a nature of like the american landscape in a way um but yeah when I was you very- retire it's gonna be like middle of the wilds northern minnesota you're just gonna play this all day <laughs> that wouldn't be bad that wouldn't be bad that wouldn't be a bad living um, um 
that that's like we talked about like the flow of this song and specifically and how uh you know it sort of fits with with a very distinct picture of what you what it brings to mind i guess for me it's the moments of like not not right now but like throughout the song it's kind of goes a little blue notey at times like it uses a minor four chord here and it does some chromatics stuff there and that like the fact that this music always brings it back to that bass droning like bum 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 thing always always works it's just like okay we're right back in it we are it makes me want to break out a jug and just start doing that appalachian (laughs) hollering along with it just because it is so like i don't know i don't know if everybody has this reaction to it but you should know i did it uh, like it's just such a good constant sort of heartwarming sound Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term yeah i I suspect this is maybe an open c tuning which is uh fahey's one of his main tunings known as Mm. the sun tuning uh, as well, but that has actually has three C open C's in the tuning. It's, okay, so yeah, that's, that's where some of that come back to you know, one. He then. was he was influenced by um, Indian classical and some of the drone notes on the sitar. So he kind of he was also a very big seventy eight collector of like old folk and blues album like seventy eight records. So I think it was kind of uh-huh. a combination of the um, like you know Indian and some European folk musics with like American very American folk and blues forms that kind of you know. American primitive named after a art movement called the French primitive art mu- movement, which is sort of a, a mm. more unschooled style of painting. And, you know, he was very big on un- unschooled too. Like he never took music lessons. Uh, you know, he felt like it, it just had to come out of sort of, you know, the stew of sort of American folk. Um, wow. But, but yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great genre to, um, to um, check out. This album is a great entry point actually. Um, so I was glad you picked this one. Me too. Me too. Um, I made a lot of comparisons, obviously, to Leo Kotke, though I don't know yes. much of his music. What is distinct about Fossen then? Did you hear? What do you hear in Fossen's performance or, or music that like you don't hear in Fahey or Kotke or anybody else? Um, I think he is. You know, it's interesting. Is Fahey was definitely a skilled player, but I think a lot of the players that came after him were probably more technically skilled than he was. He had hmm. a very interesting relationship to like tempo as well his tempo is kind of i think purposely kind of slow up and speed up at times um really i think fawson is uh you know probably not as much darkness sometimes as there is in Fahey's music um but i think i just consider him like of this form of music just a very highly skilled you know practitioner of it i think a really he has a great melodic sense i think he has a great sense for kind of the rhythm of how these songs kind of have to evolve but they sort of have to it's almost like riding a wave, like they're going between different sort of chord changes and, and modes, but it has to mm-hmm. almost feel like this this constant kind of wave of like the finger picking that that sort of stays very constant, you know, like a, almost like a train kind of a feeling. Um, so, yeah, I, just, I think he had a very, he had a gift for melody and a, a gift for playing. And, um, you know, I don't know if he's considered one of the um, the major players of the genre, but I think that was partially due to the fact that he kind of got, you know, a raw deal in terms of how the business side of the business treated him and, and some, you know, unfortunate happenstance like the the bankruptcy of Tacoma Records. So I think hmm. I think in a different timeline there's a, you know, a way that he might have been as, you know, big as like Leo Kotke or somebody like that. Yeah, no, it uh it 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 works. It scratches the same itch. I can't wait to get more familiar with some of these artists and sort of be able to determine what's um what I like about individuals rather than just the overall style, you know? Like yep. I can only yep. speak in Vegas terms about what 
clicks for this music for me. Uh, so I'm glad it was in there. I was wondering how much of that I would hear. Uh, and I figured there are at least a couple of collections probably within Matt's band camp. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with, I guess within his collection to have, uh, you know, to have this kind of music, but I, I couldn't select just one, I guess. So, yeah, no, or I had is, to, I guess this is, this is great. Um, I think there's Joyce. a good count. Uh, you know, actually the best place maybe to start is there's an album called, um, Fahey Kotki Lang. And it was a uh, compilation album where each of those, there may be what you would consider the core original three. Um, and uh, they each kind of, it's like a, a one LP thing where they each kick in about four songs, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So that would just give you a nice little um, rundown. That has Peter's probably best composition called When Kings Come Home on it. Um, so that's a great way to, the, the Fahey Kaki Lang album is a really nice way to kind of get introduced to the sort of uh, founding fathers of the genre, uh, so to speak. Awesome. Great. Can't wait to. Uh, we've got one last song to cover from your collection. Oh, that's right. Another callback. We, yeah, we were doing a lot of callbacks, encouraging people yeah. to listen to old episodes they might have missed. <laughs> Tropical Fuckstorm off their last album, most current album, Deep States, uh, G-A-F-F, which stands for Give a Fuck Fatigue. Um, we covered their first album with Lizzie Killian. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the Laughing Death and Meat Space album, which I, I love. Um, yeah, this is their newest album. I think it was, you know, composed over quarantine. Um, you know, it's, it's, they're, uh, maybe not the most accessible band, but I, I, I appreciate a lot of things about Tropical Fuckstorm. So, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe the band for these dystopian times that we live in <laughs> in many ways. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's check it out. I'm going to jump around a little bit at the front because there's like 30 seconds of oh, yeah. sort of shrieking sound. So know that it's going to be a little bit messy until now. Matt, as a bass guy, that bass tone just sweeps me away yeah i love that they, they really fuck with a lot of their instrument tones digitally i think you know to kind yeah. of like blur the uh lines between like drum machines and synths and like guitars and basses and, and real drums yeah this one is um I, I i picked it again because it was just like I don't know this record yet, and because this was the one that Bandcamp was serving me, uh, and I think maybe I'd heard this single before it released, yeah. but anyway, um, and I noticed that it's a bit more on the note, like we talked in our episode with Lizzie about their first record, about how it's, um, about how the lyrics are very often like esoteric and mm-hmm. like sort of slant referring to things. This song, as an example, is just a little bit less, a little bit more on the nose than that. Uh, yeah, I think yep. they directly reference like the comet ping pong incident from a few years ago. The whole QAnon yep. conspiracy, but like they pretty directly reference that in this song. And I don't know if I love or dislike that in them is like just taking so directly the subject matter of a thing and like making it into the song. But tonally, yes. musically, I still really like this song. Yeah, I mean, I think Gareth L- L- Lydiard, who's their you know principal. Uh, lyricist, mm-hmm. I think, um, but I think the whole band writes music, so I don't want to make it seem like it's just him and a you know a backing right. band by any means. Um, yeah, he, I mean, <laughs> I think anyone that tries to do his thing, you know, you're gonna flirt with sort of being like a little bit 
over the top or didactic sometimes. Yeah, and he's I mean, flirting with that here. Um, but for I, sure, but, but he has a great to your to your point. Yeah, I think it works for him. Well, one thing I love it. He has great phrasing and just delivery of lyrics. Like he's he's not you know. I just love his kind of cadence of how he kind of like. You know, he just sounds like a man that's sort of like you know. His brain is kind of melting down from like information overlay it yeah. a little bit, you know. Um, I brought myself up to management one of them days. I'm not a kamikaze, don't want to die a mile. I'm just looking for a lot he said, "I'm, but I'm not a kamikaze. I don't want to die a martyr. I'm just looking for a latte and a fucking phone charger." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty funny. Yeah, but again, he's a like, funny, he can be a funny guy for sure. Yeah. Um, I know he's described as lyrical process as that before too. Like the world's funny. You got to be funny in your lyrics. Yo, um, yo. I I do like what I like more about the song is the production and instrumentation. It's I think it was described as like part like sort of a demented hip hop beat and some funk bass and stuff just mm-hmm. all these disparate pieces that kind of come together into this what, what came to mind is like this is the music of this is like the soundtrack to siphoning gas out of somebody's car you just like <laughs> yeah. you start to lose your mind a little bit the more you listen to it because you can't pinpoint what a sound is or where it's coming from yes yeah fortune 500 wins points where the fucking cause of a symptom God, he so many lyrics, too. This like must be like three pages of lyrics or something. It's it's a long one. I'm on Genius right now. Yeah. Um, you know, the, one of my favorite things is, is just here in a second. That total hype beat vamping 16th notes on the s- snare thing. Yeah. I love that. That's so like standoffish in this song. It's it's like brave and funny. Yeah, they were a, uh, a band that was... I went to Chicago the only time they played anywhere I could really reach regionally mm-hmm. um, a couple years ago. And it was really odd because, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember the drummer's name. She's amazing. Um, but it was so interesting to hear their songs, like, without all this stuff because she hits tremendously hard. She's like John Bonham from, like, Led Zeppelin. And, really? you know, it was just, like, loud guitars and, you know, synths and stuff. But not everything was so filtered and it was, like sounded like this enormous like heavy rock band wow so it was just kind of almost like a different band uh that is lauren hamill yeah and you wouldn't oh, know that God. from this from this from this listening is no. like this is pretty reserved contained compressed drums yeah she was a monster like, that hard just a monster right. i was just blown away by her um yeah so i mean you know they're one of my favorite bands um you know like you said they they can have their faults at times but I think two but things. Even those for, they own, yeah. yeah. I think two things for me, basically, that I admire about them is a, um, I think that they're a rock band now that is genuinely not tied to any sort of like retro or nostalgic musical impulses. That's a good point. Like yeah. they genuinely don't sound like I can't think of. I mean, there's certain things here and there, but like they don't. I think a lot of bands, like whether it's Pup or whoever, White Denim, or you know what I mean, like. They do they do reference certain parts of the past and obviously they change it and they make it their own. Yeah, but yeah. like this is a modern rock band, right? Like this this feels like it could only exist in like probably since like Trump was president, right? You know? It just sure. doesn't sound like rock music has sounded instrumentation wise, just the way they put things together, the kind of chaotic nature of the production. And then, you know, like you said, he can verge on over the top sometimes with his lyrics, but like you, I, I, I'm glad you brought up that point about being funny. Is like he does seem to be one writer 
Um, I don't think a, a lot of rock bands put much effort into lyrics anymore. Um, and I think hmm. he's at least trying to struggle with like w- this world that's sort of deeply overwhelming and disturbing at, at, uh, at one hand and sort of also like darkly kind of comedic and absurd on the other hand, you know, like, uh, and I, I think he's at least trying to like wrestle with that in a way mm-hmm. and express what that feels like. And I think, you know, I at least admire that he's like trying to, you know, address the world as it is now. Right. And not like, you know, some sort of like rock and roll fantasy camp stuff. Yeah. I looked up some videos of them playing live and I think you can tell that in his physicality too. He's always kind of like squirming and stretching and yeah. like posing at the mic. Like any picture you look at him of him on the internet behind a microphone is like, he looks like somebody just poked him in the back with a sharp stick just cause he's really putting all of it in there. Yeah. I mean, I would love to see them live sometime. Oh, they were so good. I mean, I, they were so good live. I mean, I hope they come here. I feel like their profile is getting bigger and obviously I saw them right before COVID, so I'm sure their yeah. international touring has been very limited. They seem to do a lot of stuff on, in Australia, um, just following them on social media. But um, yeah, yeah, if you if you have a chance, I would highly recommend it. I mean, they are they were a hell of a live band, really intense. I absolutely will. Cool. Well, this all was right, well, fun. That's all ten songs. Yeah. yeah, I like I like our little experiments we're doing. This is fun, and um, you know, again, it's kind of getting us to that point where, you know. It's just interesting to to look through someone else's lens, you know, and and kind of see yeah see their collection stuff. I had really had a good time with this, and uh, yeah, I learned that you have much more diverse interests than I do, but maybe not as <laughs> wi- like I buy if I love an artist, I buy everything of theirs on Bandcamp. Yeah, uh, but that ends up with me like having I don't know thirty different things from like. 10, 15 different artists rather than like 30 different things from 30 different artists. Right. Yes. That's sort of my, yeah, that's always been my habit. I mean, there's certain artists where I have a lot, you know, but in general, I've sort of Mm -hmm. been, you know, more wide, wide net than the deep net, I Mm -hmm. guess. For sure. It's uh, different approaches to the same end. Um, I guess, I mean, Epic doesn't pay us to say this. Uh, I think Bandcamp is a great tool, especially Bandcamp Fridays. Check them out. They wave the, uh, distribution fee that Bandcamp mm-hmm. would normally take. So everything you pay to the artist, uh, excluding taxes, right. goes to the artist. Yeah, um, and I it's mean, a great I, fun thing they put in, yeah, during pandemic times. I mean, you know, our record sold like, you know, 42 copies or something. But um, it was great. You know, it, it just allowed us to like put our music out there in a way as a band that like we just did in my basement. It wasn't really a band at all. Um, <laughs> you know, it was it was just cool because like you don't have to worry about distribution and all that stuff or manufacturing physical copies. It was just like, Hey, we can do Mm -hmm. it. We upload it. And that was it. So I I think it's been a tremendous site for music. In my opinion, I think, you know, artists, obviously uh, every artist I've ever seen talk about Bandcamp talks about how much more um, financially beneficial it is to them than any of the, the streaming services or other digital storefronts. Yeah. If you like music, check it out. Yep. Uh, listeners, you know that we are part of the MinMax network. You can check us out at patreon.com slash MinMax. If you uh, do support at any level, you get access to a whole bunch of content, uh, including uh, the opportunity to ask us questions about uh, guests we have on this show or suggest songs we should listen to. We have a running playlist of, oh, 400, 500 songs from the community, and they just tell us what they love to hear, and we put it in a playlist, and everybody gets to hear it. It's a great way to make a community out of music, uh, and that's just a little, little tiny bit of what you get from supporting MinMax on Patreon. So again, that's patreon.com 
facebook.com slash minmax. That's minmax with two N's. Uh, check them out. Check us out. Um, find us on Twitter uh, at minmax show. Um, I'm Jason. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. Matt, give me your, your handle. We don't do this often enough. <laughs> Just at Matt Helgeson, M-A-T-T-H-E-L-G-E-S-O-N. That is way easier. Yep, um, Matt, yep. do you want to hear the taxi theme as we go out? Yeah, Bob James. Bob James, um, 70s kind of, uh, I don't know if he was smooth jazz. I don't know if smooth jazz existed then, but uh, he uh, was definitely beloved by rappers, very sampled artist. Um, mm, all he, right. did the, he did the was- beat uh, Nautilus, which was sampled for Daytona 500 by Ghostface Killer, a classic. But, uh, you know, he's been, he's uh, he's well known in, in hip hop circles because I think his records were sort of very. Had a lot of clean breaks and, and easy to sample stuff. So this is a theme nice. from uh, Taxi, a very old show. Danny DeVito got his start on this show. Um, Ooh. So uh, yeah, Andy Kaufman got his start on this show. Um, I did not know that. Yeah, it's, wow. it's uh, I think it was a it was a pretty big deal. You know, kind of looks like Mark Marin in the front seat here. But uh, I'm just gonna hit play and uh, listeners check back in in a couple weeks for a new episode. I can't believe we're playing this. I love this. 